to our lives today uh, and how as Christ followers we live out this truth. And so before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word that we can open it and know you through it, that we can see your heart, see your character, see how you have worked throughout history, see how you call us to follow and how we should follow. Lord, I just pray for this time as we read your word, as we seek to apply it to our lives and to um, everything we are, that we can see your truth and know your love. Also know the reality of your gospel and how you make this all possible. How it's never through our own efforts or our own power in which we can do these things perfectly, but it's always because you have saved us through Christ. That you have given us your spirit that empowers this. That you have made this all possible. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we tell them all the time, I didn't see your text. I didn't know that was your leftovers in the fridge. I love that choice of paint color. I can't go out tonight. The kids, you know, they got stuff going on. Yeah, I totally know that insert band person, whatever people are talking about. Yeah, I do. We tell them all the time and so many more little white lies. There can be pretty invasive when we're talking to people. We want to portray ourselves one way or the other, and so we're communicating, and we don't want to look like we don't know what's going on, or we want to make ourselves look better, and so these little white lies can creep up. We don't want to hurt people's feelings, and so these little white lies creep up. But it's funny, people have actually researched how often the average person lies, and they come to this figure that the average person lies about three times every 10 minutes. Most of them probably are the more of those casual, harmless lies where we don't want to hurt people's feelings or we want to just maybe exaggerate and change how we appear to people, but we apparently are all liar, liars, pants on fires. And some might say, well, this is not a big deal. Why would this be a big deal? If most of them are of this tiny, insignificant category, most of them are of this small nature, what would be the big deal? Why, if it's so common in society, shouldn't we just be like everyone else? What is the big deal? But the fact of the matter is that research also suggests that every time we lie, we are actually reprogramming our minds to lie again. That those who lie actually rewire how they think and prepare themselves not only to lie again, but to tell bigger lies, to try to get away with more. And so when you think about it, we actually are, every decision we make to tell the truth or not to tell the truth, we are programming ourselves to either be people who tell untruths or people who tell the truth and stand in that way. And we are leaning this way or that. And we know that when people lie, it can be destructive. It can be confusing. It can upset things, and we can start to doubt what even is true. When I was doing youth ministry up in Colorado with Young Life, there, I was invested in this ninth grader like a whole lot. I took him to camp. We, we went out to dinner a lot of weeks, and you know, I was trying to share the gospel through a relationship with him. And so we shared a lot about who we are. And he shared a lot of backstory about how he grew up in Cincinnati and how some traumatic events happened to some friends, and that really kind of framed him in who he is. And a few years later, years down the line... Uh, it came out that all of that was not true. That he actually had set up this 
fake life before everyone. He told his friends this, that he was born in Cincinnati. He'd never been to Cincinnati. I don't know why he chose Cincinnati, but, you know, whatever. But, in, in like, none of this happened. And it caused confusion, and it caused actually destruction in his life as he lost friends, as people didn't trust what he was saying. And I, and I was just like, oh, I don't know what's going on here, but you can see how lies can actually lead to more lies. And I bet he probably told one small thing, and he got some, some reaction, so he walked into the next one, and walked into the next one. Before he knew it, he was, he was weaving a web for himself that he could not get out of, and it all came crashing down. And so that's just probably one dramatic example about how lies can be destructive. And so it shouldn't surprise us, knowing, as we know, that lies can be destructive, that when we come to the Ten Commandments, we see God addressing this principle, addressing this principle of being truthful or not being truthful. And we see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. It's a small little verse. It's going to be on the screen as well. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. They're all listed there, but when we get to verse 16, we see this ninth commandment, and it says this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If you grew up in church, chances are you might have heard the ninth commandment summarized as do not lie, or you shall not lie. But when we read it, it looks like there's a little different wording there. And we go, wait a minute. I, I, I was told it means don't lie. I thought the Ten Commandments said don't lie. But it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And what's going on here is, actually, if we look at these last few commandments, we see that they're given kind of specific examples that break this principle. And actually, they're given probably the worst sin or the worst action that breaks this principle that's encompassed by that commandment. And so when we go back to the sixth commandment, it says, you shall not murder. Murder is the worst way you could break this commandment of not hurting other people. Jesus says, even in your anger, you do this, you break it. And so obviously murder is worse than anger. And the same thing with adultery. You shall not commit adultery is, is a worse instance in how you can break God's plan for human sexuality. And obviously you can break it otherwise, as Jesus says, you can break it when you lust. But God has given us kind of the worst example of these sins. And so when it comes down now to you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, this is the worst kind of way in which we can distort the truth. When we distort the truth to harm someone else. And so we, as a general principle that they're not wrong when, they, when we teach our kids do not lie, that's contained within this commandment. But this is getting to that, that general, that, that more specific principle, I would say, of now when we harness the untruths and deception to hurt people, that's the worst way we break this commandment. So how can we summarize this commandment? You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, I would offer you this. Don't be a false witness. Rather, speak truth. Because as we have seen throughout this whole study, that these prohibitions, that when they tell you not to do something, they imply a positive well. And so the negative is, don't do this. Don't speak falsehoods against someone else. But the positives are instead, actually speak truth. 
What's implied here is that we should be people of truth who speak truth, who stand on truth, who promote truth, who want to protect the truth of who our neighbors are. And so well, I would summarize this, don't be a false witness. Those who spread lies, those who want to hurt people through rumors, those who distort the truth for their own benefit and to put someone else down, but rather speak truth. Be a person of truth. This commandment is a commandment to watch what we are saying. It's interesting because we've already had one of those. If you remember back in commandment number three, it talks about how we should watch what we're saying when we use God's name. And now we have a reflection of that. We should watch what we're saying when we're speaking about others. We should watch what we're saying when it can harm other people. We should actually just watch what we're saying and stand in the truth. So let's talk about what is, in, what is forbidden, what is kind of covered in this ninth commandment. It says, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so that's what obviously is covered. Don't speak falsely about your neighbor. This language of witness, bearing false witness, brings up images, or should, of a courtroom. That we're, we're standing, we're testifying, we're giving a testimony about certain facts, and we're called not to distort the facts against our neighbor. You probably all have seen it, whether it's on TV or movies, or maybe in real life, of the people sitting in a courtroom, or standing in a courtroom, and they're raising the right hand, and they, they swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. This courtroom setting is we are going to speak the truth. And we know how important that is because when you think about legal trials, when, when eyewitnesses come, when people want to tell what they saw, what they believe happened, we want them to speak the truth. And we know that if they don't speak the truth, if they distort what's true, if they seek to actually harm someone, they can actually do harm to a person in a courtroom, right? They can speak something false that puts someone else in danger. And that's Important in our day and age, even when there's other evidence available, when we have video evidence and, and forensic evidence available to help with court cases, it's still important that people speak what is true when they testify about events. But when this was written, and even in Jesus' day, the whole kind of Bible day, they didn't have really those other pieces of evidence to rely on which means speaking the truth becomes so much more important. Because really all they had was someone's testimony about what happened. And so in proceedings, this is why people, when we see it throughout the Bible, someone could be condemned on the word of two or more witnesses. That people get together and they say, this happened, and they kind of align. Someone could find themselves in danger. And so if someone was to take that process of speaking the truth bearing witness and twist it to be false, you could put people's lives in danger. But this shouldn't be foreign to us because we have biblical examples about how that happened. The biggest one being Jesus. Because when you're reading accounts of Jesus, how if you remember how he was betrayed by Judas, he was dragged off before the council, he was before the high priest, and what do they do? They bring out people to say falsehoods about him. We read this in, in, in Mark chapter 14, verses 55 and 56. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but the testimony did not agree. By setting up the stake 
where all of a sudden when we read the Matthew account that kind of corresponds it, we see how what they were saying falsely, how they were speaking falsehoods against Jesus, how they were twisting his words and misconstruing what he said. And this all led to him actually being tried and being crucified, as we say falsely, because of false witness. But then if you read in the book of Acts, this actually continues, because in Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen, one of those servants of the church, and how he was preaching the gospel, and how the, the, the council did not like this, the Jews did not like this, and so they rallied people against him. And it says in Acts chapter 6, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before a council, and they set up false witnesses. And because of that, he was stoned. He was killed. So we see the reality that bearing false witness against someone can have real-life consequences. We can see why it's forbidden. Because you can falsely accuse people of stuff they did not do, and they can suffer the consequences even to lose their lives. But I think we all know that, right? Don't stand up in a court of law and lie. Hopefully we all know that. But this actually goes deeper then, because when we start thinking about what this means, we can say, well, this commandment also forbids twisting another person's words. I don't know about you, but this can be hard because sometimes when you're relaying a conversation or you're trying to reaccount events, you almost naturally start to twist someone else's words to make yourself look better and make them look worse, maybe to prove your point and maybe not kind of put down their point. Just me? Man, okay. But I think that's true. When, we, when we're talking about it, we have this way of twisting someone else's words. That when they say something and we're recounting it, or when we, maybe even to that person, they're like, wait a minute, I never said that. I mean, how many fights have probably happened in any relationship, but in marriages, as someone is recounting what happened and the other partner's like, wait a minute, I never spoke the, that way or said that. So this is a commandment against twisting people's words. Don't play that game of telephone where we intentionally start shading their truth. But what also is covered in this commandment is that we shouldn't gossip or slander someone else. That breaks this commandment. That when we gossip, when we intentionally talk about someone else, reporting on things we don't know to be true... We are breaking this commandment because we are bearing false witness. We are actually speaking untruths or unclear things and spreading rumors, spreading lies, maybe deceptions to someone else about someone, and that hurts them. Now that, I mean, that gets really personal really fast, I think, because we all like to talk about other people, and we all maybe share a little too many facts when we're talking about someone else. And sometimes we can be in even good environments like a prayer meeting and people share some facts and you got to weigh that line. Did that just cross over a line from wanting people to be informed to sharing maybe a little too much of what's going on? So gossip, when we intentionally share or share things we don't know to be true or maybe even share things we know to be true but we shouldn't even be sharing them, sharing them breaks this commandment because we are speaking out of turn. And then to the more dramatic slander breaks this commandment. When we intentionally pass along things that are not true about someone else, we are slandering them and breaking this commandment. 
that we are actually tending to cause people harm. We're tending to paint their reputation or their lives in a certain way that maybe benefits us, but hurts them. This is pretty big now. I mean, it happens all the time. There's all these lawsuits going around now because there's talking heads on TV who speak out of turn and say stuff with intent, and they cause reputation damage. They hurt people. They make people see people in certain ways. And so we don't slander people. And going along right with that, included in this commandment is probably this idea of we don't falsely condemn or rashly condemn someone without hearing the facts. In our day in social media, we got to go, oh, wait, what? You mean I have to actually listen to someone's story before condemning them and thinking something about them? In our day, in our day and age, we're so quick to hear a snippet, to hear a little factoid, and then put a narrative on top of it, or listen to someone else's narrative and jump to conclusions and condemn people. I, you know, I like documentaries because I'm that kind of nerd, but I like those things. There's, there's actually some really cool documentaries about a huge example of people rashly and jumping and falsely condemning someone. If you guys remember, back in the 1996 Olympics uh, held in Atlanta, there was a security guard named Richard Jewell. He always wanted to be a cop. He was a security guard. He saw an unattended bag, and he took action. He actually cleared people out of this festival, saving people's lives because that bad bag contained a pipe bomb, and it detonated. And for whatever reasons, you know, uh, he was first held a hero, and then as people dug into him and they saw his life, someone said some things, this things, things, and uh, people jumped to conclusions and started condemning him as he became the prime suspect, and the media just ran with it, and they kind of declared him as the bomber without any facts supporting it, and his whole life and reputation was kind of destroyed because of this. As people jumped on this, this narrative that was said, and they rashly condemned him. And it took a lot of effort on his part and on other people's part to actually clear his name. Now, that's a safe example because that's in the past. That's 1996. But there's names in the news right now, names that I'm almost scared to say because it gets so politicalized, but you got like Nick Sandman, a kid who's rashly condemned by the media. You have Kyle Rittenhouse, whether you agree what's going on or not, but someone who's rashly condemned. And you got these people who are being rashly condemned because people are speaking out of turn without even knowing the facts, and their lives and reputations are destroyed. Those are big examples. But we do that all the time when we speak things we don't know to be true, or when we speak out of turn, when we break this commandment, or bearing false witness against someone. And finally, just if, we, if I have not covered you yet, any lies, deceptions of any kind, small ones, big ones and meaty ones, are covered by this commandment saying, don't twist the truth. Man, all you storytellers out there, watch that exaggeration. Because you're twisting the truth. We twist the truth all the time. I love a good story, and I love to one-up someone in a good story. And it's so easy to start exaggerating and make my story a little bit peppier than theirs, and so you can twist the truth. But again, any twisting of the truth, any shading of the narrative, any intentional spin of the facts 
is breaking this commandment because we are standing on untruths, deceit, rather than standing on the truth. Don't be a false witness. Rather, speak truth. Why does that matter? Why would God, in his commandments, lay out, hey, when you speak about someone, you speak truly? Why would that matter? Well, first of all, as we already said, lies hurt people. When we lie, we actually do damage against someone, whether we do damage against ourselves, or our own reputation, or we do damage against them. I love the verse in Proverbs 25, verse 18, it says, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. That the, the writer of, uh, of this proverb was saying that those who bear false witness are actually doing damage against someone. They're attacking someone just as much as if you attacked them with a war club or a sharp sword or, or a sharp arrow. You're attacking someone when you speak lies about someone. And when you spread untruth, you're attacking people. You're doing damage to people's reputation. You're doing damage to who people see they, them, who they are. You're hurting people. You're intentionally setting yourself up better than someone else. Maybe through lies and deceit, you're making yourself look better and degrading other people. But we hurt people when we lie. And this is on our minds if we think about current events and, and, and school systems and, and, and cyberbullying and, and how people can take things and run with it and reputations can be damaged and how people can be hurt and how people view them can be hurt just because someone took it upon themselves to spread untruth, to spread lies, to speak out of turn. People suffer the real consequences of that. But Christians are called to a different way, the way of love. Because if lies hurt people, and we're called to love our neighbor then we're called not to speak those falsehoods, but rather speak the truth and stand there loving our neighbors as we speak the truth to them and to everyone who would hear. The truth of what we see, the truth of what's going on, we don't be a false witness, rather we speak truth. But this also goes to a bigger issue than just what we do and what we say. This goes to who whose we are. Are we either gods, the God of truth, or are we the enemy, the father of lies? For when you look at the Bible, it seems like a great juxtaposition is set up almost from the get-go, that God is true, Satan is lying. God is true, Satan deceives. We see that from the very beginning. God speaks and it's true, and he speaks creation into place. In the first instance of the enemy, what do we have? He slithers into the garden, and he speaks deception. He whispers lies into Eve's ears. He, he, he degrades the truth. He twists it. He subtly wants to put emphasis on different places, and he changes God's word. And we see again and again how the Bible sets up God as being true. We see in John 3, 33, where it says God is true. We see in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. As he has said, and he will not do it. As he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? 
This idea that God speaks and does it. He is true. He keeps his promises. That the word describes God as being uh, not only true, but his word is true. It's the word of truth. The spirit will guide us into all truth. The truth is from God, from Jesus. The truth will set us free again and again. We see throughout the Bible, truth, what is true, is associated with God. That is who God is. That God speaks truth, he acts truly, and he commands us to walk in those same ways. But the enemy, Satan, is opposed to truth. He twists God's words. He operates in the realm of untruth. Jesus says in John 8, talking about Satan, he says, does, uh, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we have to ask ourselves, whose are we? Are we gods and stand in truth? Or are we saints and stand in untruth, stand in falsehood, stand in deception? We just looked at how we break this commandment, how we stand in deception all the time. So we should be rightfully trembling because on our own, so often we fall in this category. On our own, so often we speak untruths. We tell things that are not 100% true. We shade it, maybe twist it a little bit, and we, we despair because we know on our own we'll probably keep going off track and speaking these things that are not true. And that's the great thing about the gospel. Because why we are liars, God is true. And why we live in deception, Jesus came to die and live for and rise for those who are liars. The great thing about the gospel is that we who were once dead in our sin, we who were once too categorized as children of the devil are now brought out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The great thing about the gospel is that Jesus pulls us out and sets us off on the true foundation of who he is and says, now live in light of this truth that we who were once sinners are now brought back into his kingdom. This is why I love verses like 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 11. Paul, after talking about all these people who are continuing this practice of sin and there won't be in the kingdom of heaven, what does he say to these believers in the church in Corinth? He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And that is speaking to us as, as well. Such, as one, such were you such as us. We were all liars. We were all born in deceit. We were all living the ways of the world. And now the great truth of the gospel is that we, just like the believers in Corinth, have been washed clean by Jesus, have been sanctified. Sinners now made saints because of him. We've been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. That is the good news of the gospel. The word comes and it condemns us and we find ourselves wanting. We cannot live up to it. We stumble and fall and we fail all the time. But Jesus saved us. 
brought us out of that, brought us into new life where we can walk and live for him. It's all because of him and his love, all because of Jesus. And now, us who know him, living in this new reality of who he is and how he has saved us, now we live out this truth of who he is. And we're now defined by the God of truth. And so we speak truth. And we seek to be truthful in all we do. And so we don't be a false witness. Rather, we speak truth because that is who we are now remade by God to be. But it goes even deeper than that. We're remade to be following the God of truth, but now as we think about what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christ follower in this day and age, we realize that we actually are called to be witnesses. That we actually are called to witness to the truth of who Jesus is. That we're called to declare who he is to everyone around us. That we have this newness of life and it cannot be contained. We have this newness of life and we have to share and we need to speak truth. And so we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be speakers. And so we're, we're called to be witnesses of the truth and speakers of the truth. And so there comes this dilemma that we're walking in this newness of life and it affects and impacts how we speak that truth. Because the question to us is, are we going to be truth speakers or are we going to be lie dealers? Are we going to be people who speak the truth to people? Or are we going to speak untruths? And when we read verses like Acts 1-8, when Jesus, right before he ascends to heaven and he calls his followers around and he says, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth, he's not just speaking to them, but he's speaking to us here in the 21st century, us Christians, that we will be his witnesses, which means we have to be witnesses of the truth that our job or in our job uh, description as a Christian includes being a, a truth teller, not just truth teller of what is going on in our life, but the, the truth teller that we speak the truth of who Jesus is to everyone. We're witnessing to them the truth of who Jesus is. And so when we stand in the truth, people can trust us and they can know we're speaking the truth. But when we dabble, and lies, shading, twisting, distorting the truth, how will they trust us when we stand and declare the truth of the universe, the truth of who Jesus is? That we're called to live out this new life that Christ has given us. Speak truth and communicate that truth and that impacts on we are called to share the, the most glorious truth there is, that Jesus came to save us, that Jesus came to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us, to bring us to God. So as Christians, as believers, don't be a false witness. Rather, speak truth. So the, the ultimate truth of Christ can be heard from you. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, how you love us, how you move in us, and how you have given us your word that we can see it, we can know you, but respond to it. How we can see that we have a need for a Savior, and also see through your word the, the fact that you've given us a Savior through Jesus Christ, your Son. And so, Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us, 
all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, that we can walk in your truth, that we can speak your truth to all who would hear, that we could make it a practice to speak the truth of the gospel to those who need to hear. Lord, I pray for anyone who does not know the truth, who does not walk in the truth. I pray for them to look to you, to, to look to, to you and to look to your son to see what is true, to see the truth of the universe and the truth of salvation and the truth of how you, you've brought us back to you. That they can see it and walk in it and know it. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we ask that you continue to build us, make us your people, make us who you'd want us to be. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.